Welcome, Secret Movie Clubbers, to Secret Movie Club Podcast 82. Today, we are talking about the canon classic Invasion USA, starring Chuck Norris, co-written by Chuck Norris, and his brother Aaron Norris, picked by programmer Edwin Cesar Gomez for his birthday. Let's give it up for Edwin. Happy birthday, Edwin. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much. Edwin, you have an hour left of your birthday. Anything you want to... How does it feel to be 23? Before we kill you. It's been a blast. <laughs> I woke up this morning, went back to bed, woke up, did a uh, podcast for you guys, and now um, we saw Invasion USA, which was pretty badass and dope. Today's topic is Invasion USA and personal movie tastes, because if you've been listening to the podcast for any length of time, you know that Edwin is obsessed with canon films, obsessed with 80s action movies. Uh, who else is with us today? Hey, it's Daniel. Hey, it's me, Connor Lloyd Cruz, the People's Champion. Hey, guys, what's going on? It's Brian. Hello, America. I'm not in my room this time. I'm in a, a room surrounded by four people. I'm not at home. This is shocking. It is, kind of. Because I'm usually on my bed while we're doing this. So we're, no, we're not in my bed. And I'm looking right at you, actually. You're, like, facing right at me, like, physically. Well, it's, <laughs> I mean, it should be noted that this is the first time we've done... Uh, record like this with all of us just in person. That's true. How about that? Because we started this in COVID as a COVID project. Yeah, so that's actually in some ways a, a good sign. Yeah, uh, here we are, our first in-person pod. That's a good point, Carl. Uh. Thank you, Dano. That's a really good point. I think we should end the pod on that note. Um, it was great to have you guys here. Sorry, I'm pounding some LaCroix. So I'm Craig. I'm the founder programmer. When you hear this, actually, it'll be the day after Thanksgiving, Black Friday. It's also our Thanksgiving episode. It's also our Thanksgiving episode. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. I hope you all are, however you do it, having a good weekend. We wish you the best. We at Secret Movie Club are thankful for you. You're the reasons we're able to exist, and we wish you all the best. And uh, next week on Tuesday, November 30th, we are going to be showing a Take a Chance movie, uh, Hard to Be a God, directed by Alexei German. I hope I'm saying his name right. Or Alexei German, a Russian director who spent his whole life making this movie or a large part of it and then died just before it came out and his uh, wife and son finished it up. It is incredible. If you like Soviet sci-fi like uh, Solaris and Stalker, you have to check this movie out. It's very different, but it's just as genius. And I've talked about it many times. It's about astronauts that go to a planet where they never got out of the Middle Ages and their one rule is they can't get involved in the evolution of the planet. And then one of the astronauts gets more and more furious because he's posing as a duke and everyone thinks he's a god and he just can't believe they're not getting out of the middle ages and he really wants to like kickstart them into the enlightenment but it's a beautiful strange movie i hope you'll take a chance on that and then wednesday december 1st we are going to be doing actually the third from last fastbender work and we showed a lot of them but we're doing kotzelmacher which actually in german translates uh, you know, I don't want to say... Sounds I, like a curse word. It is, yeah. But uh, it was uh, Fassbender's second movie, and actually a movie I love. If you see early Fassbender, it's very anti-theater and Brechtian and cold, but Kotzelmacher's not. It actually feels much like his later work, and it's about a group of German friends who think they're really enlightened and young and hip, and then a uh, Turkish immigrant worker comes into their group, and they all become racist and xenophobic and reactionary like their parents, and it's a pretty amazing and insightful film. So there you as always, you can write us at community at secretmovieclub.com. Check out everything we do at secretmovieclub.com. Get your tickets on Eventbrite. Our social media is at secretmovieclub.com. There you go. Invasion USA. 
Yeah. Canon Films, 80s action, all in Edwin Gomez's wheelhouse. Edwin, it's your birthday. It only feels right that you should give the synopsis of what this movie is about and who it stars. Stars a legendary Chuck f***ing Norris. Actual name, Carlos Norris. Is it really? Uh-huh. Wow. That's shocking. Not Latino, though, by the way. He was named after his dad's minister. Oh, nice. <laughs> but uh, the, the, the synopsis is uh, terrorists wants to uh, come to America and destroy Christmas. And uh, they're blowing up houses, you know, destroying families, ruining Christmas Eve. Even right? though they're Cuban and the Cubans do celebrate Christmas? Well, you ever seen Red Dawn? Russian and, and Cuban uh, people probably don't care about that. Were they confirmed Cuban in the movie? I have no the idea. Ac- the accents were so all over the place. I genuinely wasn't sure where they were from. I thought it was just like a band of American Misfits. haters, kind of like in Assault on Precinct 13, yeah. just this very diverse group of criminals. Maybe I'm making assumptions I shouldn't make. And uh, the government wants to get Chuck Norris, and the government has to go to uh, a swamp. And I say, hey, got to come back with us. I'm done. I don't want to go back. And they come after him, like, okay, I'm back. <laughs> and then they start blowing the shit up. To be fair, this is one of Canon's biggest movies that, that ever came out. Like, they actually put money into this. I know that's hard to say. No, no, you see it on the screen for sure. Oh, yeah, because their next big movie was... Um, Life Force, and that was a major flop, but I'm pretty sure Invasion was like their bigger success movies because Chuck Norris. I read the uh, weird trivia fact that Invasion USA was MGM's highest selling VHS behind Gone with the Wind. So, there you go. so what are your thoughts on Inva- Invasion USA? Edwin? It's so different from watching it at home, seeing it in the theater with the people. Dude, that was awesome. What was the reaction like in the audience? I was in the booth. There's a lot of good laughs. A lot of great laughs. Were people into it? I think mm-hmm. so. I know Kim was laughing a lot when Chuck Norris says some <laughs> funny lines. Kim has a great like sitcom laugh. Like, yeah, it's such a beautiful. Like it, you hear it in the audience, and you're like, "Yes, I want to be a part Tonight of." Tonight was sort of like a special reunion of Secret Movie Club. There were a lot of Secret Movie Club regulars who came out for your birthday. Yeah, Sean, who I didn't get to talk to, he drives down from San Jose. Yeah, I know. Robert was here. Yeah, Robert brought you beers. Yeah, he did. I'm kind of sad and drink it. Sarah was here. Yes, yeah, Sarah. Your sister was here? Yeah, and then left. Well, gave me some. <laughs> gave you a, a nudie statue? Yeah. I'm, so, <laughs> I, 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 I'm scared to put it up because I don't want my dad to say anything. Put it up, man. Haven't your dad and you had the talk yet? What talk? What talk? But uh, no, Invasion USA played a lot better. And you can obviously tell there were some major cuts to it because there, I'm pretty sure there was actually supposed to be more storyline and character development with Chuck Norris and Oh, there is for sure. It's a fact that they cut out like an hour of the movie, which is why people (laughs) joke about how it just seems like he just shows up and stuff blows up. It's interesting. In the first half, there is like a cat and mouse thing where he's like getting information and that information is leading somewhere. But then towards the end, it just starts like cutting to terrorists doing something, cutting to him showing up, stopping, cutting to terrorists doing something, cutting to him showing up, stopping. So Edwin, in terms of Chuck Norris movies, where do you rank this? My first favorite is Missing Action. Also directed by Joseph. Yeah, I know. The Invasion USA is my second. Delta Force, along with Quaid. Is Dodgeball cameo? And, and, and Way of the Dragon, where he fights uh, Bruce Lee and he lost. The only man he... Uh, you lost to. If you have one that was even more of a favorite, how did you land on Evasion USA for tonight? Well, okay, to be honest, he picked it out of the top five. It was uh, Drunken Master with a Rush Hour double bill, Jaws 2, Godzilla 1984, and I forgot what the other one was, but those were my original picks. But I, I, I wanted to do Drunken Master 2 and uh, Rush Hour. But um, I'm glad uh, Invasion USA was picked because 
It was my second choice because uh, I I worshipped that movie and I worshipped Canon because uh, one of these days I'm gonna talk to that guy. It's like, hey, you Armin, bro, like Lahayam, Lahayam <laughs> dude. Um, I want to bring back Canon and I want. Did you I just want... try to drop some Yiddish there? Yeah, because Lahayam. Yeah, he's Jewish. There's Yiddish and there's Hebrew. You know the difference. Let's go with it. But uh, like, hey, dude, like. I want to bring back the canon. I want to make a movie about that and call it Lahayam, dude. <laughs> so, uh, Yoram, if you're listening, um, I'm, I'm going to bring back canon. Uh, this was my first canon rodeo, I think, and my first Chuck Norris rodeo, I know for sure. It was fun. It was probably, even at an hour cut down, probably still about 15 minutes too long. <laughs> Not The action stuff was always great, but anytime it was trying to be tense, it was like, I want to see someone shooting somebody. Cut to that. I thought it was funny, the pro-authority line. Where it's like they're turning Americans against Americans, but worst of all... Against authority. Against authority. Just the concept of authority, <laughs> which is kind of an interesting, like, false flag idea. False flag is the idea of most popularized by uh, Alex Jones when talking about things like 9-11. The idea that a government is going to do something and pretend it's somebody else in order to, for political means. And this is like the opposite of that, where they, <laughs> the terrorists are pretending to be police in order to antagonize people. Was Alex Jones someone who was a 9-11 conspiracy guy? Yeah, he was. And yeah. then he became a right winger? Uh, he was always a right winger. He was just like, you know, he thinks like the Bushes are part of the global cabal. Oh, still, oh, okay. You know, um, which, you know, they are. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Confirmed. But the ending made me laugh how abrupt it was. I kind of miss that in movies. Like, oh, there's nothing really that I care about to wrap up. Just It's over. It's like American Werewolf in London. And the thing that kept making me laugh is that Chuck Norris, his face was just so blank. Is it the Kuleshov effect where they'll cut in between like a guy's blank face and like soup or a crying baby and you'll interpret the emotion he's having that's great acting connor <laughs> yeah <laughs> when he's driving around and looking around it looks like he's looking for a parking spot his body language <laughs> says confidence but his face says uncertain yeah i went to look afterwards the total body count was 129 there was a part when he's arrested and they said like he's wanted vigilante wanted for killing 10 people and i was like he's which is not true a lot he's more than more. that <laughs> That is some made up thing they did. They did. Well, to be fair, they usually, if you kill that many people, they'll probably charge you for the ones they know that you can really stick. Pen on you. So that's a, just a little touch of realism. That was good writing. <laughs> I wrote my favorite line is he's like torturing some guy for information and then his buddy comes in to like help him, kind of. And he says, I'll hit you with so many rights, you'll be begging for a left, <laughs> which is an incredible. And you know that they wrote that at a table and they were like, yeah. Because <laughs> I remember that hit, everyone laughed. And then there's a pause and it was either you or Josh were like, what? I think I was trying to make sense of what it, eventually it was a right hook, but my brain went political. <laughs> I was like, what does it have to do with anything? And then I, and that's just where we've been. I thought it was great. It is funny because you can tell that there's a movie that they cut away and then had to try to piece together something that makes sense but i don't think it makes sense at all <laughs> like what are they why are they trying to take over and why do they choose florida to start like that's like a heavily armed well they're evil famous heavily armed state <laughs> and that becomes like the joke is that all the townspeople are just gun toting i feel like you could get a plot synopsis but you could also just like Chuck Norris is going to kill a bunch of people. And I think the beauty of it being cut down is that at a certain point, it just becomes like something bad's about to happen. Chuck Norris is there. It is an alarming amount of places with the real world. Now, every place that is attacked is like very real and very scary. 
It's like shopping malls and churches and just people's homes while they're celebrating Christmas. That might be the best sequence in the movie. <laughs> I think you mentioned it in the intro, but they were they were just demolished that neighborhood. Yeah, they're about to demolish. It was near some uh, airport that was about to be turned into some kind of runaway. Georgia. It's just this five minute scene where they blow up a house. Unclear if someone's in the house that's supposed to that they're after, and they just keep going to house after house. With this rocket launcher that they don't have to reload. Yeah. <laughs> and they don't always blow up right. And you can tell that they can only do it once. And I don't know what the strategic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the tactical idea was. Yeah. <laughs> but I was here for it. Terror, Connor. You think they'd hit like some sort of. A higher value <laughs> asset. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like the mayor's house. No, they yeah. kind of had it out for children. <laughs> but there's a child decorating a Christmas tree. Let's blow up the house. This is what I thought. Post 9-11, this is true. Whenever I was like a kid, this is what I thought it was going to be like. I thought people were just going to be like roaming the streets and blowing up houses. I feel like there was always like an urban legend in people's hometowns of why your town would be a target too. <laughs> oh, there wasn't I remember that. they were like, you know, well, Oklahoma, we're right in the middle of the country and they're going to want to start at the middle. By the way, Daniel, Chuck uh-huh. Norris. Yeah. Born in Oklahoma. Oh, good for him. We were near Houston, so it was, I think, I yeah. think you could just Major associate city. us. Yeah. You and I grew up in, in the early area of the internet, and Chuck Norris was the thing for a long time, the Chuck Norris jokes. But this is the first Chuck Norris starring thing I've seen. He's been in other things. I've seen other things that he's in. Did you notice the scene uh, where he's like driving around, and he sees the army barrage? If you look at the, the street name. It says Walker. Was it was Walker Texas Stranger an eighty show? Ninety show. Oh no! Oh my god! He knew even in nineteen eighty five he'd one day star in Walker Texas wow. Ranger. Yeah, like Pixar. But it's <laughs> uh, we were talking when Josh left. He's like, that's the first time I've seen you know the famous roundhouse kick from the legends of Chuck Norris, and it's weird to come full circle back to this thing that's existed in my brain on the internet for so long and like put a an actual movie to it that's not just a oh was there a, a meme from invasion usa no just the concept of chuck norris chuck norris jokes oh, specifically yeah. if you remember do you remember that i had a bunch of them and then i was like this is edwin's show tonight <laughs> yeah but there was one great one i never heard before that on, on chuck norris's computer there is no escape key yeah, and they were like, you would tell your friends those, and like it was like a gut busting laugh. And it's crazy that that became the thing. Having none of my friends had ever seen a Chuck Norris movie, but the idea of this man, I think Walker Texas Ranger was on TV, so we may have seen this. It was a premium person, but yeah, an, an impressive legacy to leave for like kids who have never seen your stuff. And it's actually what's even weirder is that there's another street sign and another scene. And the name of the street is Chuck Norris jokes. Whoa! <laughs> Wait, what? Oh, wow. (laughs) So the funny thing is that but when Secret Movie Club was just my friends showing movies, I did a July 4th Secret Movie Club on the roof of my apartment in Echo Park and showed Invasion USA. And the things that I remember vividly about it was everyone had a blast like they did, I hope, tonight. But I remember one of my friends, female friends, got so blazed (laughs) that she was watching Invasion USA and then the fireworks went off in the middle of it. So we stopped the movie to watch the fireworks going all around. And she was looking and then she looked at me and quietly was like, oh, say, can you see? And then we heard her and we all put our hands and we're like, by the dawns. And we all sang the national anthem to the fireworks. So Chuck Norris's Invasion USA got us all to sing because she was so blazed. And we didn't know what was going on. We're like, Sarah, are you singing the national anthem? (laughs) And then she sang the national anthem. That's one story I had to tell. I love this movie in particular and canon movies because they're so 
fun and ridiculous. And it's so hard to talk about them, but it's like Golan and Globus, the very famous producers, they do put money to things. So the thing is that even though it's this ridiculous movie, it actually has some production value behind it. So there's like some legit car explosions. There's some like legit camera shots and it's not a cheap movie. But the thing that I love about it is just how crass it is and trying to get you to hate the terrorist. So it's like, first they kill these people on the beach. So they're like some people, it's like a Jaws reference where the couple comes out and they make out and then some dude just shoots them in the head <laughs> for no reason because the invasion is coming. And then it cuts to Christmas and you see a little girl like, and you see the fam, white families, by the way, celebrating Christmas. And then they blow that up with a rocket launcher like, oh, they f with Christmas. <laughs> and then there's a mall. So they f with capitalism. Excuse my language, sorry. And, then, <laughs> and so that it's like, oh no, oh no, son. Those commies didn't just go into a mall did they so they they mess with that and then they go to a church and you're like oh they're gonna blow up by the way filled with just white people <laughs> I, hope, I hope everyone noticed that people of color i guess don't go to church they're, people of color are famously not religious <laughs> yeah talk to my salvadorian wife's family uh who are deeply deeply religious and also i was a kid of the 80s so i want to say i think the movie is ridiculously fun and i love watching it i've seen it two or three times but I also always hope that people understand when I show the movie that I show it with an understanding of the irony that it is utterly ridiculous. Like there's a scene literally where they Chuck Norris is hunting the Russian in an office. Yeah. I guess the climax of the movie takes place in an anodyne <laughs> office. And then outside the military has trapped the terrorists. And when the terrorists give up, all these white guys in tanks are like, yay. <laughs> I, I just, when I see the movie, I was a kid of the 80s. I was born in 1977. So when this movie came out, I was eight. And I guarantee you I saw it when I was nine because my dad would always rent these movies right when they came out because he was a Vietnam vet. And he would shut and he'd be like, that was a good movie, kids. And <laughs> See, your dad knew what he was talking about. I saw all these movies when I was like eight, nine, and 10. And my dad would smoke camel cigarettes and he'd take us out to the desert with his girlfriends for gun practice. And then he'd wow. show us movies like this. Oh, yeah. And he'd be like, this is a real movie, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> yes! Yes! That is absolutely true. The B theme of today's episode is personal movie tastes. And, you know, I'm sure if we could somehow get out of our own heads and listen to the podcast and listen to our movie tastes, we would realize how idiosyncratic they are, all of us, uh, and be like, oh, that's interesting. I tend to really hit this. So you, in our 82 podcasts, you know, you love Cassavetes. Yeah. You love Michael Mann. I do. You love canon action movies. I do. You love... Mamma Mia. You love... <laughs> no. I guess my point, though, is that you love legit great movies that, yeah. that many people would... And you, But you also... Would it be fair to say that you love kick-ass action movies? Yeah, that's, how, that's what I grew up with. There you go. Okay, so tell us a little bit about why, because I'm talking about how I think Invasion USA is ridiculous. And I think it's a masterpiece. Just the action, the dialogue, the badassery, Chuck Norris being Chuck Norris. How every bad guy just blows up, which I love dearly. Because here's my pitch. I think every bad guy in an action movie should blow up. <laughs> like in a building, a car, or anything. I just want them to blow up. Because that's how you know they're freaking dead. By the way, we didn't even mention that Chuck Norris wrestles a gator in this. Oh, yeah. I didn't even see that. He wrestles a gator. See, look at that. That's like the least memorable part of the movie is Chuck Norris wrestling a gator. He seems to have an armadillo pet. He does. Yeah, oh, it's very it cute. <laughs> it's the only time he emotes in the whole movie is when he's smiling at the armadillo. Besides uh, Invasion USA, you know, I have other types of favorites that I grew up with as a kid. 
you know, my dad introduced me to Rambo. And I think I was nine years old when I saw Rambo. Good age. Good and uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I said, so I want to be like Rambo. I want to get that knife, too. And I never understood about First Blood until I saw it in an adult. But I always love how he just blows shit up. And I think part two is my top favorite because he just goes all out in that movie. What other movies did your dad intro you to? Cheech and Chong, right? <laughs> yeah, he did. He introduced me to Cheech and Chong when I was seven years old. Nice. And uh, he introduced me to Hellboy. But the one movie I'm really grateful for that he showed me, he gave me a box set of Godzilla movies. And I saw all the Godzilla movies. And then, and then uh, there was shark movies, which I was obsessed with as a kid. You know, like Jaws and uh, Leviathan, Deep Star Six, Alligator, and uh, movies called... Shark Attack, Shark Attack 2, Shark Attack 3. Those are what I grew up with. Yeah, those are real movies. Like a sequel company called New Image, which is uh, kind of like the same company who did the Canon Group, uh-huh. made these ridiculous B-horror movies for fun. And it's so great. There's even one called Octopus. Yeah. Oh, dude, we got to see that. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. It is even a sequel, Octopus 2 in New York. What? Yeah. <laughs> Does the octopus get loose in the sewer? No, it's it's in the water, the ocean area. There's even one about, about me taking sharks, too, and an alien. It's just ridiculous, the amount of fun it is. And would you watch these movies with your dad? I watch a couple with my dad, but normally I watch them by myself. Because there were in scenes that they were not appropriate for my child eyes. Mostly... I think, you know, as a child, you just sort of look for things to do. And especially in the 80s, when there wasn't, we didn't have technology to just escape into. It was the it was the video store for me. It was this place, Videoscape, and I, I grew up in a small farm town, and I, I lived there. It was just anything and everything, and the posters is what really got me. And I think that's what got me initially into the 80s movies. I think I was seven years old, and I saw Predator, and that was my first R-rated movie. That was I remember the guy, I'd been in the video store enough, and he was finally just like, whatever. <laughs> just rent anything you want. And Predator is what I went home with, and my dad sat and watched me with it. It blew my mind. You know, it was one of those that I, I was obsessed with the Schwarzenegger That's and everything. So good. And then my brother was the, because we always had to, we were two years different in age. He had to have his thing, and I had to have mine. So he was the Stallone guy, and I was the Schwarzenegger guy. You know, and of course, later years, we realized we love everyone. It's all amazing. And was this, uh, you guys lived in New England? Yeah, we lived in a small town in Connecticut, like more cows than people kind of a place. It had a really tiny video store, and we would just, I, that was my probably my best childhood memory is, is that experience of just living in that video store. Did it have a foreign film section or no? No, no, I don't think. I think <laughs> the one thing I remember is the saloon doors were the uh, the X-rated film section they oh, had. Yeah. So that, that was about as far as the, the cultural diversity they went for my folks got divorced when we were six and my dad rented a lot of movies from the 18 and older section one time we're going returning the movies to video depot i remember the name of our store and i'm looking at the movies right and it's literally like chitty chitty bang bang whatever other herbie the love bug that he got and then the third one has this big gold label and it's called the live connection and i was like dad what's what's the live connection and without missing a beat my dad was like well you know the french connection it's like, well, I haven't seen it. He was like, right, well, it starred Gene Hackman. You know French Connection too? I was like, yeah. He was like, well, Live Connection was the third one. It's where Popeye Doyle goes to the Middle East and fights the Arabs. It wasn't as very popular. but I, And my dad just spun this. I was like, oh, I didn't know that. He was like, yeah, I don't know. They shouldn't have called it the Live Connection. They should have called it the French Connection 3. But, you know, that's what it was. And then when I got a little older, I was like, mother, that. That was a porno. <laughs> <laughs> My dad just didn't want to tell me that he was watching a porno. But can I mention a story about that too? Because I had that similar thing in my, <laughs> in, my, in, in, in my local video store. That's no longer there anymore, sadly. Because I used to live in Azusa. And there was always this video store in my hometown. And 
all the way in the back, there's always an adult section. And a future dream of mine wanted me to go in there as an adult when I was like old enough. But now I can I can never no longer do that anymore. Cause we that's, can we can recreate that for you. You want us to so you can rent your first porno? No, because I wanted the I wanted to be that specific store. I think my movie taste. I think one of the reasons I like James Gunn a lot is he walks a really good line of where my movie tastes fall, which is stuff that's really broad and I think people pleasing, and then stuff that's gory and gross and upsetting to a lot of people. I think mine just came from some of the movies I remember liking the most as a kid were things like Batman or Indiana Jones or Ghostbusters, which I think also kind of can walk are a little more obviously kid appropriate to a certain degree, but walk that line of being people pleasing, but having these moments that are really weird and gross and upsetting. My parents weren't movie people. So the video store, I think was a solution because I would, I would be very focused on it. And so I spent a lot of time develop that and I, I don't remember I know like going to friends house sometimes their parents would have stuff that you weren't allowed to watch and the rules were different so you could get away with seeing stuff that you shouldn't maybe see yeah I think this taste evolves over there I can't think of like specific ways that taste evolved but I remember at a young age I always hated the idea of a guilty pleasure like if you like it you like it and I always hated that people would def- have to defend this thing that they liked as if it was like well I know I, I, it's, I, it's bad I shouldn't like it I'm like if you like it then you like it because your taste is such a personal thing that's tied to you emotionally and having to defend it against this concept that, well, you know, critic or whatever, it's it's a, considered a bad thing. I think that kind of sucks. So taste is a weird thing to discuss because it's like so personal. And the beauty of it is like in a good group of friends, taste sort of gets to resonate across the board because hopefully it, you kind of rub off on each other and sort of share taste and find new sensibilities to share in together. It is interesting, though. Like we don't have Secret Movie Clubber Casey with us. Because Casey so gravitates towards female ensemble movies. He just loves them. You know, Connor, you, you've talked, you know, and been very open about your love of like Sam Raimi. I think Marvel. And, you know, Daniel, you, you're always championing these really great and interesting and fascinating indies, uh, among many other things. And it is interesting. I, I mean, like you guys, I have very fond memories of it. One is my dad, for sure. When my folks divorced, my dad didn't have a lot of money. And I totally understand this because I've been many times in my life. It's just one of the things you can do is rent movies and that's a cheap entertainment because you rent a movie and it's three bucks or whatever it is. And so I just remember right after the divorce, that's what we do. We'd be with my dad on the weekend and we'd watch five movies and we loved it. And we were, and it was like really bonding time with my dad and my dad would let us watch whatever and he would get whatever and he didn't care. And I always remember this story that's almost not germane to what we're talking about, but he got some really bad z-grade movie i can't even remember what it was called but the premise was like some alien dude comes to the u.s and he like fights pimps or something in new york i can't remember what it was and there's a scene whoa, whoa wait like keep going i might know what it is <laughs> yeah well i don't know what it was but it was like starring this guy and there's a scene where a guy menaces a woman with a gun on the bed and the woman's naked and it was like really uncomfortable and my sister was there and my dad was there. My dad, I could feel was uncomfortable, but he didn't know what to do. And I went and I hit it off and I was eight and I hit it off. And I was like, 
we're, we're not going to watch this. <laughs> and my, <laughs> my dad looked at me and he was like vaguely embarrassed that I was the one who hit it off. And I looked at my sister and I didn't hit anything. I didn't hit off Robocop. I didn't hit off Blade Runner. I didn't hit off anything. I was like these movies, even as my eight-year-old brain was like, these movies have artistic merit. But there was whatever that movie was called. I was like, we're not going to watch this guy menace this naked woman with a gun. And with my sister, I'm not that's, doing That's that. Edwin's second favorite movie. <laughs> <laughs> it almost sounds like the brother from another planet. It's not brother from because that's Sean sales it wasn't that i promise okay, thank you. god no it was not because i probably wouldn't have hit it off it really was b grade like it felt like you're supposed to get off on it i, I was like we're, yeah we're not gonna do this but um i my mom lived in orange county in laguna beach and i went to school in laguna beach and there was video laguna run by five persian brothers nice and, and i've told this story like a thousand times but when i was 13 no 14 a freshman in high school I had this image in my head of this man with glasses in a classroom and red hair. And I went and I said, I can't get this image out of my head. It's a man in a classroom with glasses and red hair and he's cracking jokes. And one of the Persian brothers, they all looked, they're like, oh, that is Annie Hall. You're talking about Annie Hall. And I was like, am I? And he was like, it was like, yeah, it's a funny movie. Watch it. So I rented Annie Hall and I loved it. And then I watched everything Woody Allen did through Shadows and Fog. And Woody Allen kept referencing Bergman. Yeah, gross. Yeah, so then I saw all of Bergman. Then I learned that Bergman loved Fellini, so I watched all of Fellini. Then I discovered that Bergman and Fellini were contemporaries of Kurosawa. So then I like discovered Kurosawa, and then from there it was sort of this weird. This director was this director, and this, and then I was off on my own journey. That's how my taste developed. Was going to Video Laguna. One of the brothers saying, "Watch Annie Hall," and then from Annie Hall, then at fourteen, I mean, I always had loved movies, but I remember right then and there. I then that was my journey you, so you, you abandoned your father's legacy by showing you badass movies and went on to foreign stuff well but the funny thing is i love both and i will tell this story that you'll love with my dad if ever i got like a bergman movie he'd be like you're watching that shit on your own <laughs> and he'd be like i'm going to bed you're watching that shit at midnight and i was like you don't want to watch dad you don't want to watch through a glass darkly he was like f no <laughs> and then but you know but if i got a great kung fu movie he's like well this is cinema so, but, but, <laughs> yes. but I also want to say my dad loved Woody Allen. He found Woody Allen hilarious. And the other thing I want to say is my dad, I'm all, I'm so proud of my dad for this. My dad came home one day and he was like, Craig, I saw this movie. It was hilarious. I was like, what, what dad? And, and he was like, he's big Lebowski. Have you seen it? It was the year it came out. Whoa. And my dad smoked pot every day of his life. Nice. But he was also a Vietnam vet. So he was literally Walter Sobchak and the dude in one person. And it was like that movie had been made for my father. He was like, that movie's way funnier than people think. And he said that in 1996. My dad passed in 2001, but I wish he had lived to like see how right he was. Cause he was like, Craig, mark my words. People are gonna, they're gonna discover that movie's hilarious. I feel like the <laughs> tastemaker thing happens because of like the way that you're talking about where you sort of get on a chain of something. That's mm -hmm. true. That's Whether so it's true. like a filmmaker and then I mean, yeah. Yeah, that happened up with, with like, me with like Sam Raimi and other directors like that. We, yeah, we kind of got like well. we sort of like Connor and I would have gotten into things as the internet became like a tool that was in your house, in everyone's house. So now you could look at, oh, here's an interview from a magazine from yeah. 30 years ago where they mentioned this person. Uh, beyond like books, you could get to talk about filmmakers, and then you had access to like IMDb, so now you could find like all these like adjacent things and sort of spiral from there. And with the proliferation of the internet, we also had sort of more niche markets. I remember like G4. Yeah. G4 was like a cable network really deep into the packaging that was about video games, video game culture, and a lot of movies that I really, like I think Shaun of the Dead I found out from just G4. 
Huh. So there was a yeah, lot of kind of places like that. Yeah, it would be kind of like a general nerd culture sort of. And thing. then forums and message boards where you'd find people yeah. that would be like, you got, that's how I found when I was like, I think I was 15 and someone's like, oh, you got to get a, there's a, you can get a bootleg from here of this movie called Old Boy. It's from South Korea and it'll really mess you up. Like it's crazy. And you could find these things and it was a conversation like, well, I remember if PayPal was mentioned that my parents were like, well, that's safe. PayPal means safe. It doesn't mean safe, but like the concept of internet buying, so you could get these bootlegs, or you go to like New York and you could get now access is insane. Whatever Suncoast had, yeah, yeah, or uh, <laughs> Fye, they'd have a bunch of crazy international stuff. That was like forty dollars. Yeah, I mean, I think me and Daniel probably used to both be like you, Ed, when we're we would just go to video stores and just buy things we had never seen that were oh, cheap. Yeah. Of cool art, because yeah, cool art, or yeah, that, that's or, what happened or, to me. Or maybe you had like heard about it or heard about somebody in it. Or there'd be the one employee who clearly had should be doing stuff and he was just like browsing the dvds himself and he'd be like oh what, are you, oh what are you looking for and he's like i don't know and he goes ah oh, you ever seen this movie ruled and i'd be like yeah i will now purchase that thank you you know same thing happened to me when i was obsessed with dinosaur movies and i was like hey dude can you help me out some dinosaur movies and he picked out what we call connoisseur Oh, yeah. And uh, my my it, it took like a whole different turn. Like I was obsessed with it. It was like so shocking. I told you I was almost in Carnosaur Three. I was a freshman in college, and I got cast as an extra in Carnosaur Three. And I had to bring my own military suit, so I had to hunt a dude down on my floor who had an ROTC military suit. And I didn't even own a car, so I had to get a taxi. And I got there a half hour late, and the AD was like, "Sorry, we've already gotten the shots. We don't need you." And I watched like they were shooting like everybody like these army dudes were gonna fight the carnosaur. Could have been me, but it's a half hour late. <laughs> the other final thing I think that's very cool that I'm glad still happens at like Cinephile and Videotech is like yeah. the staff picks. You like have to be sort of a specific type of person to work at a theater or a video store, especially like revival places. I think there's like they sort of bring in a type of personality and the pick section is always like a competition I feel like in store to like who can be the most obscure, but also have something in there that will let you know like, oh, I recognize that. I like that. Just sort of lead you on a thing. The staff sections in like little indie stores back home were always like the cream of the crop of that stuff. Pop culture, final thoughts. Titan. I've seen it three times this year. It's on streaming platforms now. It's it's amazing. What's the log line? On? Uh, honestly, you know, honestly, this is a, it's it's such a non simplistic. I mean, there's there's it's layered. I feel like the less you know, I feel like understand that it is a challenging and sometimes uncomfortable watch. Yeah, it's shot with such confidence that some things that just should not work, especially like handheld shots, just work so well because. Uh, Julie DeCarno is just so confident in their filmmaking and Raw was an incredible film and this is just like her next level that honestly I'm at the point where it's like just give her Nolan money let her do whatever whenever however she wants I would, I would just love to hear someone's reaction to having no concept of the plot of that movie I saw Garfield <laughs> which one the first one but Murray Garfield yeah it's not that bad who voices Odie no one uh, Odie's silent she, he doesn't talk what's the owner's name John who John. plays John uh, I don't know but he's a cast member on Robot Chicken but the girlfriend is uh, Jennifer Love you. Right? So you see John without Garfield yeah people like edit out Garfield in the comics and it makes John look like he's having a mental breakdown it's <laughs> <laughs> good stuff what, what took you to Garfield because you just seen Titanic no because uh, I, was, I, I uh, re-subscribed to uh Disney Plus because they had a 199 month thing how's Bill Murray is he funny he's actually really funny I know he doesn't give a crap about the movie, but he puts an effort into it. He's really funny. And then Have I you watched, heard the legend of why he did that movie? Uh, apparently, he thought that the movie was being written by uh, one of the Coen brothers, Joel. 
But it was another person that <laughs> happened had the same name as him, named Joel Cohen with the C O H E. Because he doesn't have an agent, no one read it. He just said, "Yeah, I'll just do it." Biggest regret of his life, and then he did part two, which is also not bad. I'm gonna send Bill Murray a script that says written by Orson Welles. <laughs> do you think I can just get an automatic yes? <laughs> oh yeah, I watched Glenn Gary on Ross for like the. 80th time yeah you told me a great story about how your dad had a tv in his car oh yeah um my so my i i always tell my dad hey can you put a tv in the car so i can watch my dvds in it and this always happened when i go to school to high school i wake up well he wakes me up but as his punishment i always play glenn Greg and ross all the time because <laughs> i knew it had a good amount of curse words and when once it gets to the the alec Baldwin scene and they're like, why Why are you playing this? Because you're taking me to school at like 7 o'clock in the morning. I want to go back to sleep. But I went for that movie. I, I would never learn to curse like that at all. So I think uh, Al Pacino. David Mamet. David Mamet and uh, the director who uh, was a part of my high school years. So thank you for teaching me a whole bunch of curse words. Uh, I watched the Star Wars miniseries Visions, which was a bunch of Japanese animation houses, did oh, nice. original stories. I don't think they're canon because they kind of break the rules. Kind of in the spirit of like the Animatrix or Batman, Gotham Knight. They're, it's nine self-contained stories by nine different animators. And they're also on Disney+. Plus. Very cool. Though... I'm frustrated because the option to watch them subbed is buried in the settings. So they plays dubbed to begin with. So it's very difficult if you want to watch them in, in their native language. They're like 15 minutes a pop, 10 to 15 minutes. Some of them are pretty bad. Other ones are, are very cool. But it's a, it was a fun, a fun little romp. So I revisited Fast and Furious, the fourth Fast and Furious. And I just, I liked it more than I remembered. And uh, I want to share this very bisexual quote from it. When Vin, <laughs> when Vin Diesel says... I'm a boy who appreciates a good body, regardless of the make. Mm. So, uh, and you can find me at twitch.tv slash Connor Cruz. I've been rereading the plays of Shakespeare, and I'm on the final three, Othello, Hamlet, and King Lear. I tried to save those for the end. And it's interesting reading Othello because I had always remembered it being Othello is a Moor. So in other words, he's an African. He's employed by the Italians to be a general. He marries Desdemona, who's white Italian. And then Iago, for mysterious reasons, wants to destroy the relationship. When I reread it, it's very clear why Iago wants to. Iago feels he's been passed over for promotion. He feels that Othello has slept with his wife. And so what he wants to do is he wants to destroy Othello's happiness. But then the other thing I'd forgotten is that Othello has epilepsy. And it's literally written into the script that Desdemona and Iago says, oh, when his eyes roll into the back of his head, he's having an epileptic fit. And I was reading it and I was like, this, you know, it's not really, I was like, it's really good writing. It's like, man, this Shakespeare, <laughs> this is a really <laughs> shaded character here. Like, uh, not only is Othello dealing with jealousy, which often the shorthand for Othello is that Othello's tragic flaw is jealousy, but that's not how the play reads Othello's tragic flaw. weirdly the main character reads as Iago Iago's tragic flaw 
is his just unbridled rage and class hatred and just whatever it is. And he's, 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 he's an anti-hero and a villain, but a fascinating one. And then Othello, you realize he's just horribly manipulated because he's trying to prove himself to everybody because he has to overcome race. He has to overcome his epilepsy. He has to overcome the fact that he's truly in love with Desdemona. But he's also very gullible because he's not of the Italian culture. So you read the play... And you're just like, man, that Shakespeare knew how to write. (laughs) Man, that's really good stuff. And I was talking to someone at our Night of the Hunter, all that jazz screening, and he was saying that, and I've heard this comment made a thousand times, is that you never know where Shakespeare's really coming from in his plays. You never really know what he's trying to say. And the characters are so multifaceted that you actually never know exactly the point he's making. And yet, at the end, you have this incredible dramatic experience. And I thought about that. And there are only a few writers who do that. Such a writing ideal to write characters that are so multifaceted that even your villains are fascinating and your heroes are fascinating and they're so multifaceted that there's just a lot to unpack. And Desdemona, she got a bum deal. So thank you guys uh, very much. Happy birthday, Edwin. Thank you. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Gobble, gobble. And uh, thank what? you guys for listening. As <laughs> always, you can write us at community at secretmovieclub.com. You can find out what we're doing at secretmovieclub.com. Go get tickets on Eventbrite. Our next Secret Movie Club podcast, 83, will be pieces of cinema directing. We think it'll be for now, although I'm sure we will come back to it, possibly the final chapter of that series, but if we think of something that merits a new one, I'm sure we'll do it. As always, this series is edited by our chief creative content officer, Connor Lloyd Cruz. Today was engineered by Secret Movie Club team member, Brian Robert. Thank you, Brian, because it's our first all together, so Brian was writing. He was live mixing. Thank you very much, Brian, and we will see you uh, next week. Happy Thanksgiving We're almost at the end of 2021, which is kind of mind blowing. And uh, that's it. Have a good week, guys. Bye, America. God bless. (laughs) My roommate and I in college found this website that if you signed up for like their little subscription thing that was like supposedly free, you got 50 condoms. And like 30 DVDs of porn. Whoa. And we ordered it and we were like, it'll never show up. And then it showed up. And it was just like this bizarre. So we had this set and there were like weren't case. So we just had this stack of DVDs. Full and every on so often movies? we would drink. Yeah. And we like put them in and make like a cowboy movie, like an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs>